Hello, my name is Andrew Laposha, and welcome to the Twilight Years. On today's episode, we will be looking at the death and final years of Marlon Brando. Many will state that Marlon Brando is the greatest actor of all time. There is a lot of justification for that belief. He was a very appealing and attractive leading man that was the object of desire for many women. He was a major box office draw and starred in some of the greatest movies of all time. He first began his career in the 40s and became immensely popular in the 50s, winning an Academy Award for his performance in the movie On the Waterfront. Though he went through a bit of a slump in the 60s, he enjoyed a career revival in the 70s, winning critical praise for his iconic role in The Godfather. He won an Academy Award for that performance as well, though he refused the award due to Hollywood's poor treatment of Native Americans. Speaking of which, Marlon was an active civil rights supporter, famously marching with Martin Luther King in Washington, D.C. Despite Marlon's brilliance as an actor, he was notoriously difficult to work with, often clashing with directors and fellow actors. He also exhibited some very strange and eccentric behavior in both his personal and public life. His health problems were numerous, and he suffered from obesity for a large portion of his career, which led to him being the butt of many comedians' jokes. But Marlon was certainly a character, which may have been why he was so great. May 16, 1990. Marlon's daughter Cheyenne and her boyfriend Dag were staying at Marlon's house. That night, Cheyenne and her half-brother Christian went to dinner at the Musso and Frank Grill. Christian got very drunk. While at dinner, Cheyenne confided to Christian that Dag had been abusive. She claimed that she was often too scared to sleep in the same bedroom as him. When they came back from the restaurant, Cheyenne went to bed alone. Dag had been in the den watching TV. Christian marched in, armed with a .45 caliber pistol, and confronted Dag about his abusive behavior. According to Christian's account, he was about to leave the room with his arm outstretched in a threatening manner when the gun went off by accident. Dag was hit in the head and died instantly. Marlon heard all the commotion and attempted mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation to no avail. Christian's first intent was to leave the crime scene, but Marlon calmly told his drunk son to stay and talk to the police and to tell them it was an accident. The police arrived. A patrolman talked to Christian. Christian kept his word, saying it was an accident and that he would never do that in his father's house. After that, a detective interviewed Christian, who was still very drunk. This time, he claimed that Dag had been hurting Cheyenne and that he angrily confronted him, and then the gun went off. Christian then added, Man, death is too good for the guy. The truth was that while Dag looked intimidating, he was a very gentle person. Cheyenne was lying about the abuse. Her whole life had been a roller coaster of emotion. She often indulged in drugs and alcohol. She idolized her father, but at the same time she hated him. She did not like that being the daughter of a celebrity was her only form of identity. She was also bipolar. At the time of Dag's death, Cheyenne was eight months pregnant and was scared that he was going to leave her. Dag's father even advised him to leave Cheyenne, saying she would leave to his demise eventually. In a hostile manner, Cheyenne gave a testimony to the police, saying that what Christian did was murder. She was then given sedatives. A police search of Christian's room revealed a large stash of illegal firearms. The judge set bail at $10 million. Even with Marlon's wealth, he was unable to pay that sum of money. To defend his son in court, Marlon hired Robert Shapiro, who had already represented several high-profile clients and would later go on to be the head lawyer in the O.J. Simpson murder case. 
Marlin also arranged for Cheyenne to go back to his private island in Tahiti, where she was living before her and Dag stayed at Marlin's house. She was immediately hospitalized upon her return. Several weeks later, her baby was born and placed in postnatal detox. Cheyenne was angered by this move and attempted suicide by downing a bottle of sleeping pills, but she was found before the drug took full effect. Therapy was done and she went back to caring for the baby. After a preliminary hearing, Christian's bail was lowered to $2 million. When Marlon was asked if anything could be done to prevent the murder, he replied with, where is the feather dropped by a seagull on the heads of 2,000 persons going to land? There are too many unknowns. At the trial, Shapiro learned that Christian had not been read his Miranda rights. He also made sure that Cheyenne not be brought back from Tahiti. Shapiro pressed for a shorter sentence because of a drug-induced brain and lack of self-esteem. However, prosecutors insisted on the maximum of 16 years. The defense then called Marlon to the stand, who gave a tearful testimony. Christian apologized to Dag's family and said he was willing to pay the consequences for his actions. On March 1, 1991, he pled guilty to voluntary manslaughter and was given a 10-year prison sentence. Tragedy continued to befall Marlon's children. Just three months after the trial ended, the wife of his son, Miko, was tragically killed when a drunk driver smashed into her car. In order to pay for any debts, Marlon knew he had to keep working. He was cast as the Grand Inquisitor Thomas de Torquemada in the movie Christopher Columbus, The Discovery. At first, Marlon did not want to play the role. Christopher Columbus had never been looked at kindly by the Native American movement. He did not want Columbus to be portrayed in a positive light. In fact, the only reason he took the movie at all was that he was going to get paid $14 million, a deal he struck through some heavy negotiating. Director John Glenn had a hunch that Marlon would not show up on the first day of filming, and he didn't. So Glenn cast Michael Gothard in Brando's role, even shooting a scene with Gothard. However, co-star Tom Selleck threatened to quit the movie if Marlon didn't show up. When Marlon heard about this, he showed up for filming the next day. Production for the film was troubled, and Marlon kept asking that his name be removed from the credits because of how Columbus was portrayed. There was rumor that due to funding problems, no one from the cast and crew got paid. The movie opened in August 1992 and was a critical and commercial flop. Special criticism was given for Marlon's performance for being too over the top. Due to the failure of the Columbus movie, movie offers and cash flow for Marlon had stopped. For years, he had been offered to write an autobiography, but he refused every time. He hated talking about himself. Several biographies have been written about him over the years, and he despised every one of them. However, debts were piling up for Marlon, and he reluctantly agreed to write one. Many publishers met with him, and he finally agreed to let Random House work with him, on the condition that he didn't have to discuss his children or marriages. Meanwhile, the publishing company Hyperion was already hard at work on an unauthorized biography, written by Peter Manso. Both Hyperion and Random House were aware of the competition, and both companies swore that their version would be the definitive biography. Both books were published within a month of each other in 1994. Many newspapers opted to do a double review, comparing both books side by side. Marlon's autobiography was titled Brando, Songs My Mother Taught Me. It was 468 pages long, and Marlon dove deep into examining himself, talking about his dark and complicated past. It acts more like a therapy session, and Marlon was very hard on himself in the book. To promote the book, Marlon gave a bizarre interview on Larry King Live that ended with him doing an impromptu duet with the host and kissing him on the lips. Meanwhile, Manso's book, titled Brando the Biography, was over a thousand pages long. Manso pulled no punches, and some even observed that he grew to hate Marlon. 
Manso conducted around 800 interviews in preparation for the book. He was unable to score an interview with Marlon, but he did get to talk to Cheyenne. Cheyenne lambasted her father, accusing him of sexually abusing her, and that he was, more or less, playing himself in The Godfather. After Manso's book came out, the paparazzi were on the prowl for Marlon. He had hit another tailspin, and new film opportunities were scarce. He mostly spent his time lounging at home, gaining more weight. Occasionally, he would visit his neighbors, Jack Nicholson and Michael Jackson. Around this time, the young actor Johnny Depp was riding high off the success of the movies Edward Scissorhands and Ed Wood. Depp was about to star in a movie called Don Juan DeMarco, a romantic comedy where Depp plays a mental patient who believes he is the famous romantic icon from the 1600s. When Depp read the script, he immediately envisioned Marlon Brando as the title character's psychiatrist. When Depp told Jeremy Levin, the director of the film, about his idea, Levin was against it, but decided to humor Depp by meeting with Marlon. Marlon agreed to do the film. The production of this film went pretty well. The Marlon Brando, who would normally clash with everyone on set and pull outrageous stunts, was generally well-behaved. He got along great with Depp and Faye Dunaway, who was also in the movie. He even agreed to do some publicity for the film, something he rarely did. The film opened in April 1995. Reviews were mixed, but Marlon's performance was praised, and many thought it would be a great comeback for him. However, just nine days after the movie's premiere, tragedy struck again. Cheyenne hung herself at the Brando home in Tahiti. She had recently gained a lot of weight and was reportedly upset that she was about to lose custody of her four-year-old son. Marlon was crushed by the news and was too grief-stricken to attend her funeral. Marlon's third wife, Tarita, arranged for Cheyenne to be buried next to Dag, despite the objection of his family. If you're like me and you wanted to start a podcast, but were not very tech-savvy, you wouldn't have known what to do. Then I heard about Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Not too long after Cheyenne's suicide, Marlon starred in the movie The Island of Dr. Moreau, an adaptation of the H.G. Wells novel of the same name. Marlon would play the title role. Two other adaptations of the novel had been made before, the first one in 1932 starring Charles Lawton, and the second one in 1977 starring Burt Lancaster. Both of those movies had a certain sophistication and seriousness to it. However, the 1996 version took a more campy approach. Screenwriter and director Richard Stanley had been working to get the movie made for four years, only to get booted from the movie after four days. He was then replaced with John Frankenheimer. With Marlon, Frankenheimer, and Val Kilmer all attached to the project, there were three personalities who had a reputation for having massive egos. He was going through a messy divorce at the time, and he and Marlon clashed on the set. According to one legend, Marlon would get lines fed to him through an earpiece. While filming a scene, police reports would get intercepted, causing Marlon to repeat, there's a robbery at Woolworths. At Marlon's insistence, he grabbed a little person that was an extra and had him play the smaller version of himself. This would later become the inspiration for Mini-Me in the Austin Powers movies. Just before filming one scene, Marlon grabbed an ice bucket that was nearby and placed it on his head as a way to keep cool. 
The scene was shot with the bucket on his head simply because no one was brave enough to ask him to remove it. The Island of Dr. Moreau opened to scathing reviews, with Marlin's performance in particular being ridiculed. The movie received six nominations at the Golden Raspberry Awards, including Worst Picture. Both Marlon and Val Kilmer received nominations for Worst Supporting Actor, with Marlon winning the so-called honor. In January 1996, Christian was given parole for good behavior and work credit accumulation. He had served five years of his 10-year sentence. He moved to the Northwest and found work as a welder. Marlon was happy that Christian was out of prison and that he could start a new life, but the two rarely spoke together again. In April of that year, Marlon made another appearance on Larry King Live. At one point during the interview, King asked him about racism, violence, and immigration. Marlon then talked about Hollywood being run by Jewish people, and he used some very offensive terms. Jewish organizations were outraged, with some even calling for Marlon's star to be removed from the Hollywood Walk of Fame. However, the protests did eventually quiet down, and he was able to move on with future projects. In 1998, he traveled to Canada to begin filming an embarrassing movie called Free Money. The film also starred Charlie Sheen, Donald Sutherland, and Mira Servino. Marlon's role was very cringeworthy. He played a bald prison guard who does pratfalls for the majority of the film, including a scene where he falls face-first into a toilet. No North American theater distribution companies were willing to buy it, and it became a direct-to-video movie that few people saw. Early 2001 saw Marlon's first big health scare. Marlon was experiencing shortness of breath and was coughing a lot, but he refused to see a doctor. He was offered $2 million for four days' work to film a cameo as a priest in the horror spoof film Scary Movie 2. A few days before filming was supposed to begin, Marlon was hospitalized with pneumonia. He dropped out of the project and was replaced by James Woods, but was allowed to keep the money he was offered. Recovery was long and painful, and the symptoms never really went away. Despite this, Marlon was convinced he was well enough to travel to New York to take part in a tribute to Michael Jackson at Madison Square Garden. Marlon was invited to speak and chose to use the opportunity to give a lecture about conditions in sub-Saharan Africa, which was met with heavy boos. That year, Marlon accepted a role in the caper film The Score. The movie co-starred Robert De Niro and Ed Norton, putting three generations of great actors in one film. The movie was directed by Frank Oz, who was a former Muppet performer. Marlon did not get along with Oz. He would constantly refer to him as Fozzie and Miss Piggy, both Muppet characters Oz played. At one point, Marlon got so fed up with Oz's direction that he said to him, I bet you wish I was a puppet so you could stick your hand up my ass and make me do what you want. The two became so hostile towards one another that De Niro had to direct Marlon's scenes, with Oz giving instructions through a headset. The score opened to decent reviews, and Marlon himself was praised. It would be his last finished movie. After the score was released, Marlon attempted to start an acting school, but was difficult to work with, to the point that one of his students used footage he shot to produce an unauthorized documentary. This angered Marlon and caused him to retreat from the limelight. He had a huge appetite, and he had to padlock his refrigerator shut so he wouldn't eat himself to death. Only a few friends were allowed to visit, such as Jack Nicholson and Sean Penn. Sometimes he would go to the Neverland Ranch to visit Michael Jackson. During this time, Jackson was facing child molestation accusations, and Marlon wanted to be there for his friend. He even appeared in the music video for Jackson's song, You Rock My World. 
Whenever he would leave or arrive at the Neverland Ranch, reporters would ask him for a statement, and he declined every time. One of Marlin's favorite hobbies in his later years was surfing the internet. He loved the anonymity it allowed him. He enjoyed getting into America online chat rooms and getting into political arguments with strangers. These arguments would usually end with Marlin telling the strangers to fuck off and him getting his account suspended. His assistant, Aver Douglas, would then have to call AOL and say, that was my kid and he'll never do it again. In early 2004, Marlin's health was starting to decline, requiring the use of an oxygen tank. Around this time, a North African filmmaker named Reed Habihi gave Marlin a script titled Brando and Brando. The script told the story of a foreigner who came to America in search of Marlon Brando. Marlon would play himself, and he was intrigued by the script. When Behe came to meet with Marlon, Marlon was in a deep depression. He was very saddened by recent news events like 9-11 and the war in Iraq. He said if he had to do it over again, he would have been a scientist and not an actor. Marlon was allowed to edit the script, which perked up his spirits for a little bit. He was glad to have some projects to work on from home. Another project that came his way was the opportunity to reprise his iconic role from The Godfather, but this time in a video game based on the movie. Developers from the game company Electronic Arts came to his home to record dialogue. Just as he had done years earlier, he ripped up a tissue and stuffed it in his cheeks in order to get the distinctive voice. Recording was difficult. He had to catch his breath after recording every line. Most of his dialogue was deemed unusable. Sometimes the sound of his oxygen tank could be heard in the background of the recording. As a result, a sound-alike was used for the majority of the project, except for one scene where they actually used Marlin's voice. Marlin was also offered a role in the animated comedy Big Bug Man. He agreed to do the role on the condition that he got to play the role of Mrs. Sauer. Not only that, but he had to dress the part when he recorded his part. The dialogue recording only took one day, and it was done in his bedroom. He enjoyed the role, saying it was the most funny ad making a movie since Julius Caesar. However, to this day, the movie has yet to be released. By late spring 2004, Marlon had experienced significant weight loss. On the night of June 30th, 2004, at around 11 p.m., he was experiencing an extreme shortness of breath. His caretaker called 911, and he was loaded into an ambulance and taken to UCLA Medical Center. An attempt at resuscitation was done. He was placed in the ICU, where it was discovered he was suffering from obesity, pulmonary fibrosis, diabetes, cardiac failure, and liver cancer. His sister Jocelyn was called to his bedside. The next day, on July 1st, 2004, at 6.30 p.m., Marlon died. He was 80 years old. Even though it was known that Marlon was in ill health, his death generated a lot of shock around the show business community. Before Marlon's death, he had instructed his business manager that his corpse not be available for public viewing. Strangely, she was fired just a few weeks before his death. Marlon's heirs took over funeral arrangements and allowed visitors to see his body at Sherman Oaks Funeral Home. Ever since the death in 1973 of Marlon's friend, comedic actor Wally Cox, Marlon always held on to his ashes. Marlon was cremated after his death, and both his and Wally's ashes were scattered in Death Valley in Tahiti. Christian died of pneumonia at Hollywood Presbyterian Medical Center on January 26, 2008. He was 49. Marlon's legacy has more than survived past his death. He is often looked at as one of the 20th century's most popular cultural icons. He deserves to be. He was a brilliant actor and a strong contender for the best of all time.
Thank you all for listening to The Twilight Years. Please don't forget to subscribe, and if possible, leave me a review. Follow me on Facebook and Twitter. The links are included in the description of this episode. Do you have someone you would like to see talked about on this podcast? Let me know and I'll do my best to get to them. Thank you all again for listening. My name is Andrew Laposha, and I will see you next time. Thank you.